there's nothing inauthentic about this movie in any way other than this creature that clearly doesn't exist. <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And for this month, we have been discussing and kind of defining the Southern film genre. So Thomas is not here with me this week, but we do have a returning guest to talk about this week's movie, to actually tell us about this week's movie, and that is Mr. Hunter Barcroft. Hunter, welcome back. It's great to be back, Brandon. It's always good to be here. Your return since Walk Hard. What a return it will be. (laughs) It's hard to live up to those expectations that you set for yourself. Walk Hard was... I still think about it a lot. (laughs) All the time. Uh, But yeah, so Hunter, like Thomas and myself, uh, is from the South, from... Originally from Alabama as well, correct? Yep, from Birmingham. Represent. And now live in Atlanta, Georgia. So, also very Southern. So, the movie he picked today, he felt very much re- related to the Southern film genre. So, to kind of recap everyone, if, if you're just now joining us, Southern films are kind of, it's not a very distinct genre as a heist film or even a rom-com. So, we're kind of defining it this month. And so, kind of giving you kind of, Southern Southern films are much about themes, it feels like, or storytelling aspects. And and some of the themes we talked about is sexual repression or racial repression, kind of these lingering racial tensions that happen sometimes in the South, which we talked about in things like To Kill a Mockingbird or the sexual repression in Count Hot Tin Roof. Um, We've also briefly talked about things like Southern films can have almost a fantastical element or a supernatural element involved, even in something like to Kill a Mockingbird, where it has a little bit of a kind of a Southern Gothic visual style or a fantastical visual style in a way. And there is this Southern Gothic nature that kind of permeates this genre about things left unsaid or kind of hidden secrets or, or sometimes urban legends. And that kind of builds into kind of how storytelling is a big part of Southern Southerners and Southern films. It's like storytelling gene where you see a lot of these films can have narration of some kind, like To Kill a Mockingbird has it, Fried Green Tomatoes has it. It's this kind of like telling a story. And I think with today's movie that that Hunter picked, I I think there are some elements that are in this film. Um, So today's movie is kind of a little cult film, cult classic called The Legend of Boggy Creek. So Hunter you were very adamant you wanted to do this movie. Yes, I was. Why did you pick this film? So I picked this film because I kind of have a history with it without having a history with it at the same time. So when we were in discussions of me coming on for this episode, for this stretch of episodes, um, you were giving, you basically, you are, we have our letterbox list that you guys kind of put together before we do a stretch of episodes and then you pull what you talk about on the episodes from the letterbox. It's like little behind the scenes yeah. magic here. So Brandon, essentially you came to me and you were like, Hey, pick three movies on this list or anything that you think would be on this list that may not be there. And mm-hmm. then tell me what they are. And then I will pick the one that I think will be best for us to talk about. Yeah. For, for the, so, mo- the monthly the monthly kind of storyline that we're, we're doing. Exactly. For what we're going to be talking about on the show, for what they're covering on the show. So I get the letterbox list. I look at it. Um, it's it's 
multiple pages long. It's a very long list. <laughs> it's it's our longest list ever, actually. It's our long because I've been doing it. It was for years. incredible. It was a great list, and there's a lot of things on there I'd never seen or heard of before. But yeah, the main thing that I took away from it. So I was looking through, and I so I have a photographic memory, and I see this this poster because it's all organized by movie posters. It's like the icon you see mm-hmm. for each one. I see this movie poster, and I remembered it from a very obscure like i i went on a a first date to a sasquatch museum in north georgia (laughs) in blue ridge shout out uh, expedition bigfoot in in blue ridge georgia but i i remember seeing this blu-ray disc sitting in the gift shop when i was checking out being like wow that's that's really weird well okay well so then we came back from that and I, I never bought the movie. Didn't do any of that. Didn't didn't do anything. Just remember seeing it on a shelf, checking out at the Sasquatch yeah. Museum. And then lo and behold, I see it in your list, and I was like, "That's a really strange pick for this. I don't know anything about it." And I was like, "What is this?" And then we start talking about it. We start talking about Boggy Creek, and you had mentioned that some of your uh, friends from LA had seen it and yeah. loved it. It was-, it was like a whole thing that they like loved, and I was like, "Well, that's really weird." Maybe I should watch it. So I happened to have a free night that night. I watched the movie. Oh my god! I was hooked in the first ten minutes, dude. I was, I was in. I was locked in. And I knew it was the one. So I pushed Brandon really hard for this episode. I pitched him in text messages. I blew him up on iMessage, and I was like, "This is the one." I know it's weird. I know it'll be different, but it's the one. And uh, here we are doing the episode. Feels good. Yeah, and so Hunter, uh, not not to 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 worry him too much or get him nervous, like Hunter, because Hunter did a lot of research after watching it and was like so enthralled by kind of the narrative of how it got made. And it's I knew a nothing. fascinating movie. Yeah, and I knew very little about it. And usually the <clears> idea <throat> of the show is that like one of us tells the story and the other one kind of listens and finds out. And I was just like, and I, Thomas and I tend to write the scripts for it and kind of really dive into the research. And I was like, well, I, I don't want to tell you the same stuff you already read. So I was like, how about you tell me kind of how this came to be? So Hunter's kind of running this episode in terms of how we do our, our structure. We're still having a conversation, of course, but he's, he's done the research. He dived deep into the research of Legend of Barry Creek. Again, a very, not a well-known film. And uh, like you said, uh, I had a, I have a friend who used to work at the video store here at Cinephile Video, and he loves not just this movie, but the director, Charles Charles B. Pierce. And so he was always like, oh, it's a great movie. Like, it's a very just an interesting, like, it's a docudrama kind of. Like, it's hard to explain, like, but just like it's a great film it is hard to explain what it is but that plays into why it is talked about because of the way that it was marketed and it is absolutely there's so many things that seem like an odd choice that when they add up were the perfect it created the perfect recipe for this film and you'll see that in the end and you'll be mind blown (laughs) just I, i when i did the research for it I was mind blown. I did not know anything about it when I went into it. I watched it and I was like, this movie is incredible. More people yeah. need to know about it. Turns out uh, a lot of people do, but they don't talk about it <laughs> because it's about, okay. people who did talk about it. were alive in the seventies. So, uh, yeah, man, so, it's so, a wild so, movie. So you picked it. So can you give everyone kind of a, a brief overview of the, I guess the, the plot or the story 
of the legend of Boggy Creek and kind of who's all involved. So the film is really a combination of a docudrama storytelling kind of mm-hmm. narrative, if you want to call it a narrative, and a nature yeah. film documentary um, <laughs> mixed <true>. together, <laughs> mixed together like a Frankenstein's monster. Uh, but the film, it recounts the various stories surrounding the community of Fook, Arkansas, and a Sasquatch-like beast that reportedly terrorized their rural town in the 1940s. And uh, I know normally you guys uh, would never in a million years pick a Sasquatch movie for this show. <laughs> and I honestly, I'm still surprised that you allowed this to happen. I said, yes, well, it's, it's, well, let's take a risk. I, I will say I would need to preface this. When I was doing the research for it, everything mm-hmm. that I, I tried to see if there were other film podcasts that covered this. Uh-huh. spoiler alert every podcast that covered this is about whether or not this creature was real it's all like bigfoot believer <laughs> people and so we are the only ones that actually covered the <laughs> film entirely yeah so uh yeah spoiler alert if you started listening to this thinking you were going to listen to a bunch of sasquatch conspiracy theory <laughs> stuff uh, you're not but not you'll it. learn a lot about we're a movie that has to do with yeah. sasquatch so you might enjoy it so maybe stick around and see but it's uh yeah it's overwhelmingly not talked about yeah and 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 for those that haven't seen it which you might not have your general audience i'm I'm not sure if this is in your in your wheelhouse but it is available to rent on amazon prime i think probably some other sites as well there is like a new 4k restoration of it and it, it does it does look beautiful the cinematography is beautiful um and we'll talk about that as we go into the show but you can rent it on on amazon and watch it it's a very short watch it's about 90 minutes um so yeah so so that's the plot that's the story of the movie it's this docudrama and we'll, we'll dive into more of kind of the tone and the visual style and kind of how it's crafted but the, the kind of the key person i assume is probably uh charles b pierce here yes Charles Pierce, he's the director. He uh, sings the main theme song. Oh, does he really? <laughs> uh, he shot it himself on a camera yeah. that he built himself out of other camera parts. Oh, wow. Using a method with a, the film that he used, the film stock he used, this camera, uh-huh. the way that he worked it, would print. It would basically use double, the, he would make double the use of the space on the film negative. So he was able to make his film stock lasts longer and therefore made it cheaper than he normally would have this. It was an incredible story. This man. And like, (laughs) he's a, he lives in Texarkana or he lived in Texarkana. The dude Mm -hmm. literally made this thing with nothing. No, no real experience. And it's, he's the main guy. There are other people that will trickle in later on, Mm -hmm. but he is by far over. Like he is the, the sole entity without him. This movie would not exist. Uh, yeah I, I he's again he's kind of a guy that i've heard and we've covered one of his movies previously on the show i think about a year and a half ago on texas month uh the town that dreads sundown which takes place in texarkana and is about like a murder that happened about a case a, a, a killer a killer in texarkana um so he's kind of this guy who made these kind of like low budget like indie films but also had had the background like other things as well um so Die, or let's go into this how does this movie get made what's the story behind how it gets the production so basically uh i i think one of the main things about this movie that makes it such a southern like get like grabbing your bootstraps and just going out and making something for yourself like it's yeah. the most southern thing you've ever heard in your life so 
way back before independent filmmaking was more wildly popular or even recognized as like a viable business model, Charles Pierce, uh, who was 34 when this all went down, uh, came across the story of the Fook monster and thought it was riveting, captivating, just based on how people told him the story of the Fook monster. All the people that he would mm. talk to in Texarkana and around Miller County all like genuinely believed that this thing was real. And he, he thought it was fascinating. He had never made a feature film before, but he was interested in making film. Um, you know, he was just kind of looking for his first thing. Um, but he decided this might be it. And so he convinced, uh, a friend of his who was another, you know, marketing person. They're both local marketing, like commercial, uh, you know, local TV guys that would make commercials and, go cover stuff for the local news yeah. stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. like industrial videos yeah, yeah that, that exactly yeah, exactly stuff, yeah um so he never made a film um gets the screenplay developed with his friend and then goes to a local trucking company called ledwell and sons with whom he had made local commercials for previously and convinces the guy who owns ledwell and sons to give him a hundred and sixty thousand dollars wow yeah he the the guy I read an interview uh, with L W Ledwell, who's the owner of Ledwell and Sons, and they uh, up until this point specialized in making farm equipment and eighteen wheeler tractor trailers. And the guy said he was super skeptical of the idea, but then initially, after being convinced, finally did agree because Charles Pierce had never disappointed them before with any of the work that he's done. Uh -huh. So they decided to like just go for it. Um, he got the money got his camera that he i read conflicting stories if he borrowed the camera if he made it himself but this camera is like a one-of-a-kind yeah, frankenstein's yeah. monster of cameras the thing is nuts and then he goes and he decides to cast the people who either wanted to play themselves to retell their story uh, or be interviewed on camera or if he had roles in the reenactments they need to shoot he would go and sit outside of a local gas station and wait for people to walk by and if he thought that they would fit the bill for what he was looking for, he would just approach them and ask them if they wanted to be in his movie. He cast the whole movie this way. And it it shows. Wow. Like, it definitely yeah. shows. But there is a level of authenticity there that I do not think would be achieved otherwise. Yeah. That for its time, I, I couldn't really tell you many things that are like it. There's a couple of things, but not, like this is of a very original way to go about doing this. But a very Southern thing to do. Like that's something that like if you're if you're a first time filmmaker never made a film before and you're like I'm gonna give it a try like sure you think this is a great idea when watching this film it very much feels like oh anyone can make a movie not by saying it's a bad film it's like it's that's why you can make it but because of the sheer like I guess ingenuity I guess it's the idea of like um how he crafts sort of like oh I'm just gonna shoot some footage but then add a bunch of narration or I'm gonna have the shots of the town and like you're able to fill out a 90 minute film. Yeah. In some it's incredible. Way. And like th yeah. uh, they go all over this County in yeah, the yeah. film, they go everywhere and he manages to do all of this pretty much by himself. And then a nine person crew made of all high school kids that he just hired. <laughs> They're all high school kids. Wow, and I had okay. a really hard time tracking down all of that information, but I pieced it all together from various interviews that are scattered across the internet. But he he literally just got a bunch of high school kids to work for him for free. This will uh -huh. later go on to be a problem later. We'll talk about it at the end. But <laughs> fascinating way to go about making your first feature. 
Um, But then he would go and shoot at a lot of the sites where this monster was allegedly seen. Uh, He would just film at the place. Like, he would just go to people's houses and film where they said they saw the monster. And uh, the way he decided to cover the monster itself, I thought was fascinating. Um, He would, it was a lot of the whole, like, the the less is more, like, you know, show an arm or like a flash on the screen. And like, I I think they do a really good job of covering this monster. Cause I, and there was an interview where he stated that he realized that if you saw the suit up close, yeah, it looks fake or for a long time, it looks really, it's just a gorilla suit. And they, they enlarge the eyes, the eye sockets Mm -hmm. on the mask, but that's really all it was. And okay. uh, I, I, it works really well for what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it did achieve the effect he wants to achieve most of the time, I felt like. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so they shoot this movie in rural Arkansas. They rap. He loads up all of the film rolls in the trunk of his car. And he's like, all right, peace. I'm going to L.A. to find uh, editorial services, to like find post-production services and just drives to california with the film in the trunk of his car so he well, gets well, before, to Cal- oh, before, before we dive into that let's, before we dive into that let's talk about like the actual movie real quick because oh, okay. that's gonna be kind of, that's kind of the, like kind of like aftermath a little bit um i'm just i'm jazzed right you're now going, dude, yeah I'm you're really going still, i'm really so going. i'm riding a wave dude so let's talk about like like the pieces of this film that really work um so the thing that that's gonna be very different because you'll hear it when I, if you, if we're playing a clip here, depending on where you're listening to this, um, is this narration, this docudrama type thing, and this kind of like person narrating the story of the monster. And it's basically it's a it was interesting to go with this kind of southern aspect and say like to kill a mockingbird. It's an older person looking looking back on their childhood in some way. Like it's the it's the, it's a young kid who sees the monster basically. Yeah, but it, it reminds me a lot of the way they use narration in the Sandlot, where it's him talking about uh, memory of his past, of his childhood. Yeah, as yeah. an adult, and that's that's exactly what it ends up being the whole time. Yeah, and and like I said, it has this again looking back because it's a child who has seen the monster, no one believes him, and he tells people, and it's like him looking back on like the town and. This is Falk, Arkansas. I grew up here. The population was about 350 when I was a boy. It still is. Falk is way down in the southwest corner where Arkansas joins Texas and Louisiana. If you've ever driven from Shreveport to Texarkana, you passed right through Falk, even if you don't remember seeing it. Aside from homes, Falk has several stores, a couple of gas stations, a post office and school, garage and motel, and two cafes where the men folk stop by for coffee and, and conversation on the fish they've caught or the duck, quail, squirrel, or deer they've hunted. But it is very much this like character looking back on, on his life and the narration, again, it's not just his life, but the town, the people within it. And like the opening part, just talk like when he's describing the town against very much like Scout describe or Gene Louise Finch describing Macomb, Alabama to kill a mockingbird. He's describing folk, uh, Arkansas and like where it's located. It's how it's the cor- It's like in Texas and, and kind of the border of all these three States. Um, and I, so I really like that narration cause it's just, it's very different. Like you, you don't really see it, but then also the way he continues that narration with the other characters as well. Um, 
I think is yeah. really fascinating. It is fascinating. And the way he works music into it, like the score yeah. is such <laughs> an important thing. And I've seen a lot of people in the research, a lot of people just dogging the music. And honestly, I thought it was one of the better parts of the movie. I thought it was great. I thought it added this level of campiness to it and like a level of yeah. like innocence yeah. that played perfectly against everything else like i thought it was really great it's from a child's perspective you gotta realize that it's like like, i mean essentially it kind of is like it's a child or a grown-up a grown-up person who was a child seeing it from their eyes yeah um the guy who did the music in this ended up having a prolific career doing a lot of creature movies and then ended up working uh, at disney he ended up working yeah this uh believe his name is jamie jamie mendoza Hmm. nava yeah he's bolivian uh, but I listened to some of his other work and it was fantastic. This man was great and it, it shows, I really felt like I felt like that was a stronger part of this movie than I thought it would be mostly cause I had just everything that I had heard was just saying uh-huh. how bad it was, but I ended, I really enjoyed the music. Yeah. I think it's the music. I agree with you. It's, it's, a, it's a very, it definitely, it's a contrasting element compared to the, like the tone of the film. Cause it feels like, how did I write down? Like it feels almost like, like upbeat Willie Nelson in some spots. Like it's just, there's something it about does. it. It reminds me of the overture from like Jeremiah Johnson. Okay. Or like in the middle, or like in the middle of like the Hateful Eight, where it just goes yeah. into like a weird like horn and flute weird music thing and like i it it just weirdly works it's it's very it it sets it and dates this film a lot like it puts it squarely in like the time period that early mid 70s yeah yeah, yeah. exactly but in a way i think it adds a level of authenticity to it uh in my mind that it it just kind of really fits perfectly in its time yeah like i love because it's again like the songs like when the it's like the creature going into hiding about and about all that um yeah the and there's like the one song where it's like uh, about crabtree about the character crabtree where oh, it's like yeah. introducing, it's introducing him it's just an interest it's just a, a very bold i would say bold move um, Crabtree's the kid something. on the boat, right? He's the kid on the canoe yeah. that goes on the epic canoe yeah. trip. I have a yes, special yes. mention for him later because that was <laughs> what a journey that I went on with Crabtree. I felt like Crabtree and I would be best friends. And when I finished this movie, I was just, I was so jazzed that Crabtree exists. Another favorite scene that popped out to me, it's the, uh, it's the, it's the hunter that is like, that sees the creature kind of towards the beginning the first time. When he's walking he's, on the river. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like contemplating shooting the creature, but he's like wondering if it's a man. It's just a very interesting way to like to to paint this inner conflict of this character of like if I shoot him and it's a man, like I'm gonna live with that the rest of my life. And yeah, I'm he's not like, I just that. couldn't ever live with myself for the rest of my life yeah. if it was a man inside that suit. Yeah. But it, de- it definitely it definitely feels like when you're listening to these people talk, it feels like you're like on the porch with like some old relative who's like telling you a story about but something. I, I thought that worked really well. And I think that was v- yeah. a very Southern thing. Yeah, I agree. In a way, a way of Southern storytelling that, you know, is captured perfectly in this film that is dying off. Like, that, that way of telling stories is not something that will be around for a very long time. Um, but it, it definitely feels like you're talking to like your old 
grandfather or your old uncle yeah. who's telling you this story about this weird thing that happened to them. It just didn't look like anything I'd ever seen. I thought at first it might be some kind of a wild man, but I couldn't tell all that hair just what it was. I changed my shells and my shotgun, from squirrel shot to my buck shot. More for my protection than anything else. If I'd have had my rifle, I believe I could have knocked him down easy. But I doubt if I would have. Because I kept thinking there's just a chance it might be a man. And if I'd have shot that thing, it turned out to be a man, I'd have had to live with that the rest of my life. The other one that popped up to mind that I wrote, the sequence I kind of liked was the, and this is, it's again, kind of go with the Southern nature of like uh, a character of some kind. It's the moment when um, the far, it's the farmer when they find the footprint in like his the, field or whatever. The three-toed footprint. The three-toed footprint, yeah. which will will reoccur throughout the movie, where other people like find it, and it's again, it's a good way to show the like to to show the character but not show the character. Yeah. Um. Uh. But it plays in this kind of like idea of like the we talked about this in in text message about like talking about like Southerners and UFOs and how this like Mm -hmm. can be a thing where it's like, Oh, they're just Southerners. Do you really believe them? Like, it's just like this random thing they saw. It doesn't really matter, but it kind of feels like it's this just old man who like sees this thing that he knows is not supposed to be there and just kind of tells people. Uh, and I love the interview of the, like the, whoever's investigating of like, is it a Sasquatch? He's like a Sat a Sasquatch. What? Like a like what? Yeah. what are you talking about? They have about? no idea what it is that they're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's, just it's, like, just, it's just the thing that they saw. They don't have any yeah. other information yeah. other than that. Yeah, they have no point of reference of what the, he's like. What the hell? But are you talking that was a about? great narrative choice. I love that. I love that they have no idea what the outside world, other than their little pocket of Arkansas, is. Yeah, you know, and it, it, that for the 1970s, that's true. Yeah, that's real true. Yeah. And like he'd be like. Sasko what? <laughs> Sasko what? And then I, so the scenes that I love the most, uh, uh-huh. I did love the coverage of the the high school girls that are having the sleepover and they're all curling their hair, and then the the Sasquatch yeah. is like basically like patrolling the outside of their trailer that they're in. Yeah. That scene is really well covered for someone who doesn't know how to do scenes like that. He does break the one eighty rule, but I think it kind of works. Yeah, and I like the look of abject terror in these girls faces and I like it's very believable. It was very, very, but I can, I can assure you that scared a lot of children in 1972, but yeah, I love that scene just the way he covered it and the choices that he kind of made with not showing much, um, but still achieving a level of, of horror. And then I loved Crabtree's canoe trip. It was <laughs> the best. It starts off and he's like, and he basically is going to go visit his buddy. So he hops in this canoe and goes down the river. And lo and behold, his buddy lives on the river too. So he just pulls right up to his buddy's house on the canoe. Uh-huh. And then he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go on a little uh, hunting expedition. And so then he goes on like a multi-day camping excursion in his canoe. And he, we just get to see Crabtree while we're listening to the song about Crabtree. It's, it's, um, it's theme song. <laughs> dude, the theme song of Crabtree while he cooks himself breakfast on a cast iron skillet in the forest. And you're just like, this man, this man's a legend. Like he's the legend <laughs> of Boggy Creek. It's not the beast. It's Crabtree. Just think of like how to shoot that work. Just like, here's his buddy. Who's probably real name is Crabtree. And 
is like hey let's just go out on the on the river for the day and just like shoot you doing stuff that's why i feel like charles pierce probably did i would almost bet you just... anything that was one of the nine kids on that crew and he found it fascinating <laughs> he was like yeah today we're just gonna go film crabtree do yeah, what yeah. crabtree do does thing. and we're gonna make a song about it like honestly like that wouldn't surprise me at all that's the way this film was made yeah, and it it's it's a very light-hearted detour from what else is going on. Like you yeah, know that Crabtree's really out there doing his thing, but then you know the creature also exists, and they're not like <laughs> really looking for each other. They're just in the same place, and like I, I don't know, I found that really interesting, and it, it was charming in a very strange way. Hey, Travis Crabtree, do you see what I see? On the gentle winds of morning, a million birds are singing, like the bells of heaven ringing, and nobody sees the flowers bloom but me. Again, there's no real main character outside of the narrator. Like no one, no one like reappears really throughout this movie it feels like it feels like it's kind of like it's again kind of just like we're hopping from this person to this person um and so you definitely get to see just like the wide range of how these people are affected by this and how kind of the the narrative of this care of this of this uh legend kind of builds oh and like another thing too is like time of the structure of it like i ha- like 30 minutes in the movie it's just like and that's when the monster disappeared for eight years and you're like wait what and you're like not much has really happened up to this point, but it's just like there's been a one or two sightings, and now he just disappears. Because it's like almost, I think it's, oh, he gets shot, right? Is that what happens? They shoot at him, and he gets upset and run off. Yeah, but he doesn't. He's never injured. Like they never injure the beast in any way. It's just that he gets shot at, and he basically gets run out of town. He gets run out of town. Yeah, and he goes and basically say he just goes and lives on the river, deep like, in deep the swamp. The river, deep in the swamp. Uh, and then eight years later, it's like you could real if you really wanted to, like if you had more money, you could really build out the lore, like of this character even more. Um, but the beast, the creature, yeah. What yeah, does he like, live I, I mean, in? Does he live in like Shrek's house down on the bottom? Well, I mean, like I, I mean, like if you do like a, if you like a remake of this today, it's like it's like it's basically it. Like that character's kind of it. Oh, where it's like for he's, sure. dis- he's disappeared, and then all of a sudden he's he's returned to wreak havoc on and, the, on the and they mention the it, it that I see that side of it for sure. But the other side of it is they mention the fact that he's just a creature that's lonely because he's the last of his kind and he just wants friends. That's true. Yeah. And like it doesn't really add up if you think about it. The fact that he like kills multiple people's pets, <laughs> um, which is terrifying in this movie because yeah. that cat oh, is straight up sh- dead. That's a dead cat. That's a real dead cat. And like, there's no way around it. But uh, it, you know, they play up this narrative side of the playful side of this creature where they he, deep down maybe he just really wants friends and like maybe he really <laughs> just lonely. But he also yeah. murders your cat. And like, well, I don't well, know. To, that's to, fascinating to, to me. To go with the cat, he doesn't murder the cat. The cat gets scared to death. That's what the line is. Yeah, but like it was cat. clearly like a frozen cat that just yeah, died. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it, fr- it froze to death. And it was like, yeah, man, would that be in a movie today? No, but no, 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 it would not, fascinating. Not I bet, yeah, and I read that that was one of the moments where kids would start screaming in the movie. Um, oh, it's it's it, it, the, the hard cut. 
Yeah, the hard cut to that because it's like because it's basically talking it's about terrifying. it's basically talking about when the, when the when the young women like see, one of the one of the girls like sees uh, the beast or the creature outside and the narrator is just like it wouldn't be the next morning that they found their cat dead. hard cut <laughs> yeah. dead it's cat hard cut, hard it's, cut. Like, it is dead. It, it's, it's, it's it's not it's not pretty uh, I apologize to people who are listening that might be upset by that but yeah it's not a it's not a mm-mm. um. So yeah, but yeah, so this yeah, this film it's like I'm still like trying to process it in a way because it's just so different. The first 10 minutes are beautiful. Like in oh, the 4K this, restoration oh, like beautiful. that's what hooks me is how beautiful yeah. the movie is. And that 4K restoration that they did in 2019 is so great. Yeah. And I compared it with the blu-ray i bought the blu-ray after i watched it i was like i gotta own this movie this movie is fantastic so i buy a blu-ray uh blu-ray is not that restoration but a previous restoration doesn't hold a candle very blown out in a lot of parts like that the work they did on that uh i looked it up so in in 2019 um i guess the daughter of charles pierce got the rights back and then sent off basically spent years trying to track down the best uh well most well-preserved yeah, print, yeah, print, print, print. Yeah. and then they sent it to the george eastman museum in new york and they preserved it professionally there um and man it, it's beautiful it is um it really captures that the mysticism yeah of that area and the south in general and like the yeah. the swamp is terrifying looking i mean it's a southern gothic-y feel mm-hmm with how they cover the swamp, but the, at the same time, it blends this like just beauty on the edge of it. Yeah. That is, it is really, it outdoes itself. It's way better than it. And it gives a quality of production quality to this film that is really something to be celebrated, I think. And I, I think that's largely why it did, um, you know, get remembered. I agree. Because I, I I've seen I mean yeah I've seen several films from the seven like these independent films from the seventies where it's just like is he and and thing is to, we didn't say this but like Pierce worked on like as a set decorator for like several kind of like seventies exploitation films. He uh, worked in the before. yeah he worked on the Dirty Harry uh, series too and on Hondo he was a set decorator yeah he had a fascinating career after this movie he later wrote on Sudden Impact is what it said and it, he he. Uh, it is said that he wrote the phrase "Go ahead, make my day." Is like what he wrote. Yeah, he got, in the he got story credit at least. Yeah, for it. Um, but no, he he did set decorating, and I I don't know how much he did decorating for this because I feel like everything's so lived in. Like, I mean, you know, when you're shooting in the south, sometimes it's like some of that production design that's just there. It's like just all there. the you walk and, up on a on a house and you're like, this is a set yeah. already. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Or it's the it's the it's the gas station like the old like Coca Cola like uh, where they're meeting uh, that first shot where they meet outside a gas station and yeah. this was like he didn't yeah. do a thing. No, he just he just showed up pointing the camera. Um, but yeah, so he did a little bit. He also he did set decorating for Coffee, which starred um, Pam Greer. Um, I think a year after this, um, which is pretty famous. But yeah, so like in the middle of this, he does this movie where it's just like yeah, it is. But I said is, I've seen seventies films, exploitation films, this era where like that don't look as good as this film and that's when they have money and there is like a steady hand in terms of the cinematography like he has a very beautiful eye when capturing the this the area of of this place 
and so it's, it's when you said like it feels like a nature documentary in spots i'm like yeah you're right because there's just parts where like we're just gonna break off and like spend a few minutes like just seeing the swamp and the the rivers and the nature of this area where we're gonna have yeah. music or whatever but it's kind of it's also like a transition of time a lot of time where it's yeah. like he's disappeared for eight years and we're seeing time go by um and this is a way to do it because you have to again it's it's a character looking back on his life in some way and this it feels very nostalgic so it kind of it makes sense that this character is viewing it in this way yeah i completely agree i i felt like in i don't know if this is a time to bring this up or not but i felt like um you know i had watched the hillbilly documentary on hulu yeah um probably two months ago and one of the main the main things in that is how hollywood has portrayed the south historically Mm mm-hmm and the people mm-hmm. in the South of Southern culture. And what I took away from this movie, it's so authentic because it is really the people from there that are in the movie. There's nothing inauthentic about this movie in any way other than this creature that clearly doesn't exist. But <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, the people in the, the people telling this thing believe that believe it does. Because they truly believe it. it. They truly believe it because they've seen it and the thing about that I took away from this movie was how Southern people in this community have this unexplainable thing happen in their life. And then life just goes on. Mm -hmm. They're just the same as they were before. They talk about it. It's a weird thing. Oh, everyone has a shared experience kind of. But like they're unfazed, they're unfazed yeah. by it, and it's like their little section of the world that they know in and out, upwards and backwards. The, the how honest it is mm-hmm. with how that they talk about it and how they react to it. Mm-hmm. By most of the time, not really reacting at all. Like these old men that are getting interviewed about, they're like, oh yeah, I saw that weird creature. It was weird. And like yeah, that's really the extent of it. And like I don't know, I think that's a really honest way of how people in the south handle things like, i feel like that's there's like a oh yeah that's weird oh well i'm gonna go back to doing my life in the, yeah. my little corner of heaven and that's kind yeah. of what this movie does and i i felt very much like that was honest in this yeah. movie and I, I and there are moments too of certain characters who they handle it differently it's or or you're you're made to think they handle it differently it's the, it's the character that like the the boy has like told like oh there's a monster up on my mom's field and he doesn't believe it but then that night when he like sees it and like shoots at it it's kind of like he believes it but he's never going to speak about it ever again like it's kind of yeah. this like repressed like we're gonna hide that away we're gonna hide that so you're like because everyone else yeah. is gonna think i'm crazy yeah um, so we're not gonna make it a big deal out of it and i he i don't think he probably went into this movie with that goal narratively in mind, but it is a great representation of culture and the way people act and treat each other here in the South. Yeah, I agree. Excuse me, Mr. Kennedy, you spent a lot of time working in this field, right? Did you ever see tracks like this any here before? No, sir. I can't say as I have. There's a lot of fresh animal tracks around this field all the time, deer and wolf and bobcat and all kinds of other tracks, but uh, I've never seen anything like these before. Well, Mr. Kennedy, uh, did you ever hear anything uh, out of the ordinary down here? Well, I've uh, heard some pretty peculiar things down here, but I've never seen nothing unusual out of this before. 
I wonder what moves the creature to pick a particular patch of woods and return to it again and again. These woods, next to the bean field, must be one of his favorite haunts. More than uh, what I heard, I guess it was what I didn't hear that made it kind of spooky. Even when that tractor's running and you can't hear nothing, you get a, a funny feeling that uh, something's wrong. We've talked a lot about favorite stuff and why we like about it. So let's go back to what you're saying. So he's finished the movie. He's finished shooting. He hired a bunch of high school kids, a uh, bunch of locals. He yeah. puts it in his car. What happens He blows next? it in his car. He takes off to California. He gets to California. He meets with Jamie Mendoza Nava, the guy we talked about earlier, the music. Mm-hmm. The composer, editor, yeah. And the composer. Uh, Jamie owned a small production company and was willing to do post on the film for a small upfront cost and tiny percentage in the film's box office. They do post production. They knock mm-hmm. it all out. Good to go. Gets the film. Turns out can't find a studio willing to take a chance on distributing the film at all. Um, everyone turns him away. So, uh, you know, feeling defeated, but still like he, you know, has a something to prove, uh, goes back to Texarkana with the film completed everything goes back rents out an old abandoned theater in texarkana which he cleans he spends like a week cleaning it and renovating the building himself wow this building was abandoned renovates the whole thing himself and then has another week of the rental left to do a week-long run of the film and that is where things start to get wild <laughs> wild okay so he markets this film when he comes back he markets the film um and this is something that got brought up in another interview that really no one had done before they went to a lot of local television and radio stations and mm-hmm. marketed the film um with local advertising which is something on a local level that not really anyone had done at that point in time it was not a very widespread thing because no one had really ever tried um but he self-markets the film basically through the people who he used to make commercials for anyways uh but he markets it as a nature film for children um it's rated g it gets released as a g movie for children a yeah, nature on, film for on children. amazon on, yeah on amazon it says g2 by the way yeah so it sticks i don't know how that rating is stuck based on the dead cat but like that rating stuck and so he released it as a nature film for children by marketing it and he markets it on local tv stations and stuff he in a week, Brandon, in a week, this man makes $55,000. Wow. In a week. In one theater. You know what that is adjusted for inflation today? It's $360,000 this man made in a week. Wow. In a one theater. Here's the thing. So I was like, how did this man manage to do this? You're just doing screenings around the clock. Something that I thought was fascinating. Basically, he realized the word of mouth after the first couple screenings, I think he realized word of mouth is how this is going to go because there are so many people just freaking out in the theater because this is not a G-rated movie. This is kind of terrifying. So yeah. he gets his cousins and their friends to come to the theater and get in the ticket line. This is all in an interview with him when he's like 70. He would get yeah, his yeah. friends to come and get in line, go through the box office window, but make the line seem substantially longer than it really was. They would go through the line come into the back of the theater, change clothes, go out the back of the theater, come around, get back in line. So it appeared as if this line was just endless and wrapped around the building. 
And that made all the people in this town be like, what is going on in that theater? They would just go and they would go and go and go and go and go. And eventually word spread to the local news that this was happening. More theaters started to pick it up. It's shocking what this movie does. It starts in one theater for a week long run. It ends up becoming the drive-in hit of the summer. It makes over $20 million. God. And the budget. Yeah. The budget is 160,000 that he borrowed from a trucking company. And I looked up, I looked up, after I realized all of this, I looked up Ledwell and Sons. Uh-huh. Let's just say Ledwell and Sons has made a name for themselves in the farm <laughs> and equipment and tractor trailer business. That, that man, it is, uh, this movie put him on the map and also made, um, you know, it made history in a sense of like, there's not really the docudrama, like found footage. Yeah genre really lends itself to films like this it it, it this movie it, they directly reference this movie the makers of the Blair Witch Project reference this film and Charles Pierce is one of their biggest inspirations when they made Blair Witch but it also it starts off this trend of drive-in theater movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that lend themselves to the belief that what you're seeing is real mm-hmm. and it enthralled people. It just caught people in the mid seventies, mid to late seventies. And that mm-hmm. would be the drive-in movie vibe through the rest yeah. of the seventies that really succeeded. Uh, it was very successful business model. You know, it, uh, it really all comes back to this one guy who borrowed 160 grand from a trucking company. It's the fact that this movie isn't talked about more than it is. Makes sense, but it's also kind of sad given the history of the film. Because, like, this is the most, like, rags to riches, like, I'm going to put on my boots and go to work and get this thing made, like, story. And it's it's a very American story. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a very Southern story and just, like, someone who wouldn't take no for an answer and just by all, you know, against all odds goes out and gets this thing done. And I, I don't know. It's, it's really charming and endearing in a way. Yeah. Um, but I, my mind is still blown from the return on investment that these guys made. Like that is insane. Like, how do you tell LW at Ledwell that you just made 20 million on his initial investment? Like I would think so, you were like lying to me. So, so this is set. So seven, is it 72, is that the year it comes out or is it 73? What 72. I adjusted, I adjusted for inflation, what this movie would have made. Uh-huh. Uh, there it is. Take a guess. 20, if it's 20 million, so it ended up totaling out between 24 and 25 okay. million. But today, uh, if you adjusted it for inflation today, be 250 movie, million. Yeah. Is it really? It's close. That was a guess. <laughs> it's How close. much is it? How much is it? Uh, like just at 200 million. 200 million. To look at this in, in even kind of a bigger context, um, I'm looking at the highest grossing films of 1972. I guess it was I don't number know, 10. Was it number 10? Well, it's like, I'm looking at like, I don't know if this is North America or whatever, but according to Wikipedia, the highest grossing film of the year was Godfather at 86 million. And it doesn't have weirdly on this, on this thing. It doesn't have legend of Boggy Creek on the list, which is odd. That is odd. I don't think it got a more widespread release other than continental U S like it starts yeah. in Arkansas and it just grows from there like a disease. It yeah. spreads and, from and like, the land. And like to put in perspective, it's like uh it's the same year as Deliverance. Comes out the same year, which I it's it's like so pair this with Deliverance and cause Deliverance is kind of the prestige version of a Southern film 
at this point in time. And I think with that and then with, say, this, I think there was kind of this little rise of, like, 70s, like, Southern films. Like, these kind of, like, drive-in B-movies that you see, like you said, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre that are horror films. But also, like, to show you how, like, how cheaply you could make them and oh, yeah. how this the begins, return of the profit. Yeah. This almost kickstarts the popularity of filming in Arkansas um like i looked at the, the productions made in arkansas up until this point and like there were notable ones like uncle tom's cabin they shot part of in yeah. arkansas and they shot part of gone of the wind in arkansas but this movie and the popularity of this movie really puts arkansas on the map for states that you can go film in and i think a lot of that lends itself to how beautiful he covered arkansas people realize arkansas is actually a beautiful place and yeah, like, it's 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 a horror film, like so, and like a travel lock is kind of what yeah, it is. it is. And like I looked yeah. it up and I thought about it, I was like, you know, there's so many directors now that come from Arkansas that are Arkansas natives, yeah. and these people would have watched this as a kid. Yeah, like this movie would have been around in someone's house when they were a kid, yeah. and they would have watched it and they would have been terrified. And like Jeff Nichols watched this as a kid for sure. David Gordon Green watches as a kid for sure. I, I don't know if Lee Isaac Chung watched this movie as a kid, but like, I hope he did. Cause it's beautiful. Yeah. And I feel like the beautiful side of Arkansas is something that he, you know, he achieves in his, in Maneri. I feel like he, mm-hmm. it's a lot of the comparisons of the two, especially with like just the open shots of them in fields. That was one of the most beautiful parts of this film. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I like, it really puts them on the map where they were not on the map at all previous like before this film came out it definitely starts again it's like you have that i think to to more context as i think other films i think of of this time in the south there's a movie called um macon county line uh for Mm. those that won't watch it so macon county line uh the first one similar thing like made for two made for like two hundred thousand dollars or whatever grosses 30 million at the box office and then they do a sequel called Return to Making County Line. Uh, and the stars of that movie, young, very young, Don Johnson and Nick Nolte. So it's like there is this kind of like period of early like B-movie 70s films that really kind of pop up. I think pair this with Deliverance. Deliverance and this, there's this kind of rise of... You have this rise of like with Burt Reynolds with movies like Deliverance and White Lightning and and like and gator like it's like you see this rise of southern films in the 1970s is what ends up happening and i you could kind of probably put a little bit on this movie because it makes so much money at the box office in its time on such a like shoestring budget but also just like a, again like you said word, word of mouth with southern films um we talked this with fried green tomatoes a little bit like there there is this like word of mouth that really kind of trickles down that really kind of helps these films out um because it, it it gears towards people that aren't fully shown or geared it gears towards the area that's not fully shown in in entertainment nowadays so he makes a big hit what happens after that um so he makes a big hit he really does not know what to do with like suddenly being famous and having made this thing like it's very new obviously for everyone involved yeah, uh, but he does. He goes on to make a pretty prolific career. He directs a couple more movies, all of which are set in the same general area of Texarkana. Like he really, it's impressive. But he really does, you know, have a pretty good career. He he makes a handful of movies and does it his way. He struggles mm-hmm. a little bit with retaining the rights. Is my understanding is that, um, you know, he may have had uh, 
somewhat of a gambling problem and somewhere along the way he loses the rights to this film they were retained and again they were gotten back by his daughter but um you know i think it was maybe a sudden rise to a level that he did not ever think he would be at uh, maybe at that mm-hmm. point in his career it's hard you know when you are faced with something like overnight like that i you know i think yeah it, that would be hard for anyone and what's odd it's like he's a guy where it looks like charles pierce where he he continued to work as a set decorator like throughout all of this it looks like he always worked as a set decorator yeah i mean he would basically my understanding is he would basically do set decorating to fund this um the ability to go and make these movies and not have to dig too deep in the savings like he you know it was more of a way to just make an honest living and still work in film um which i get a lot of people do that now it's you know it's it's a way a lot of people make their films now you know but um he had a pretty good career of it and I think just in terms of like indie film, I agree. I think I think he's someone that really kind of, as you said, kind of picked himself by its bootstraps and like made it made a film and went out and did it. Like went out and showed that like he could do this thing. And no matter like what resources he doesn't have, like it's like I'm gonna put with duct tape and some shoestring and make a movie. And that's what this feels like. I don't think the movie would be the same level of authenticity if it wasn't mm-hmm. that way. I feel like it exists the way that it exists and is remembered the way it's remembered because of how much he was able to eke out of a very small budget. Yeah, on this movie, I agree. So what ha- what happened with the high school kids? You said that'll come back into play later. Yeah, so not maybe not the high school kids directly, but it did come back into play with the cast. He got sued um, in the mid two thousands, I believe, and basically they the the cast all formed together in one joint lawsuit. Uh-huh. And uh, ended up totaling, I believe, was like ninety thousand dollars in lawsuit settlement out of after all was said and done. And I think it ended up coming to what the what I was reported was there was like a thousand dollars a person after legal fees. Uh-huh. So everyone that appeared in the movie was not paid. No one signed contracts. They were all just like, "Hey, let's go film at your house." Uh, and like that okay. came back to get him later on. Yeah. Um, maybe not as bad as it could have been, but still pretty bad. Um, yeah. Not a good look for sure. But you know, like these guys didn't know what they're doing like yeah they had no idea and i think these people realize that they could go make money off of it of course they're gonna like want compensation oh yeah they do and and and, and again they, they do deserve it like you like when you're making a 20 when you get make 25 million off hundred sixty thousand dollars, you're like the first thing you should do is like i'm gonna go back and pay my people a little bit of money um yeah. so yeah he did not <laughs> so on that note so so what worked about this movie hunter um, so I obviously, and I said this already before, but I think the songs and the score really work really well for this film. And I know that that's kind of a hot, uh, topic for mm-hmm. people may not agree, but I, I do think that it really works exceptionally well in this movie. Um, I thought the tone and the kind mm-hmm. of the period of the seventies that's captured in this film, it almost seems timeless in a way you're almost, it feels very much like you're in a time machine, um, yeah. And I feel like that it really, really works for the, the film and setting of the film. Um, and I also really, the just the, the beauty of the camera work, for someone who's extremely untrained in how cinematography functions and like the different yeah. methods and, um, you know, ideology behind a lot of this stuff, he really does a great job just kind of winging it. And... 
I honestly feel like that's one of the strong points of this movie, especially in the the 4K restoration um, mm-hmm. on Prime Video. It's you know you owe it to yourself if you're gonna watch the movie, watch the 4K restoration on Prime Video so that you see it as it's intended to be seen. Yeah. Don't go, don't make some obscure <laughs> like oh I found a YouTube link or something. Like yeah. watch the the Prime pay pay the three dollars and you'll trust me it is worth it. It is worth the three dollars you'll spend to rent it. And, and you know the last thing that i thought really worked well for the film was how well he balances the playful kind of innocence in this film a lot of it's because of the music and you know just the way people interact with each other but also the horror elements in the film the way he combines all of those things into one kind of seamless dance that will go from one to the other and then back so suddenly works perfectly for this movie and it kind of takes you on a bit of a ride and at the end you just don't really know where you end up because you're just kind of like what did i just experience like by the end of this movie you've gone on a journey um then i i feel like that really 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 worked for the movie entirely yeah i agree i mean it's interesting because i i didn't think until we started discussing this of this kind of childlike nature to this film and the the kind of like again character looking back on his life, um, which I think is is I think constantly popping up in this southern film genre, um, and seeing how this place affected the town. Um, yeah, I like all the stuff he said. I do like the music as well. I think it's again it's different. It's fun. I think it. I think it's. I think it's. It fits for the era, um, even if it does date it to an extent. Uh, I think the cinematography is gorgeous. I think the nature stuff is beautiful. I think I say he really captures this authentic look of this of this place and of this these people, and it definitely feels uh, it definitely feels lived in. Everything feels lived in um, about this movie, and he's able to have good kind of like horror moments and seeing how these people uh, these characters react to when things go in this direction of horror goes this direction of like someone someone is is uh uh invading their space of some kind in the film exactly but he never takes it too far like he never takes their reactions too far and no one ever wants to just violently like go out and kill this thing to the point where they do like you know people like just want to defend themselves and that's he leaves it at that like that's it's really the way he kind of just brings it back down is really well done and i don't think that today i don't think that would happen if you make a horror movie about sasquatch today like these people are gonna go try to kill this thing and like it's gonna be the whole point of the movie (laughs) yeah it doesn't yeah it doesn't end like a like a mob like a mob going after this 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 sasquatch and it just kind of is it just goes off and that's it like I, I loved how kind of just the, it's just accepted at some point that this is just the way it's going to be. And if you're, you know, if you go out there, people say you'll still hear its lonely cry through the swamp. And like, I don't know, that's a perfect way to end this movie because it's it's beautiful and sad. And one and there's a there's a sense of wonder there. Yeah, it's like it's almost weirdly like he's he's saying goodbye to a friend in some way, like thinking back on a friend of his. Yeah. yeah of this monster he well he, the way the the words and the song kind yeah. of lend itself that that's kind of the relationship he has like this yeah. childhood understanding of this thing is like a uh like an invisible friend kind of thing and i don't know i i, I love that i thought it was 
there's it it really it pretty much every way in which he could have narratively have hit in this movie i feel like he pretty much did i there were a couple things that i found that didn't work i guess we could segue into that now well yeah we can go into that yeah yeah what didn't work i felt like at times the casting was so rough that it was like bad bad yes but i will say those times were a lot more seldom far and few between than i thought they would be most because he just never really focuses on the people and like up close and personal and i feel like he realized that it was going to be like if he did that if he tried to make it a more narrative film it was going to be bad because people they're just not trained actors like they're just not the way he covers it as interviews and kind of like a reenactment it you know it lends itself to you can get away with a couple uh extremely iffy performances and i feel like at times it kind of brings you out of it to an extent but never to a point where i can't come back in and um you know i feel like the other part that I, it's something that i noticed um was the lack of diversity in this film yeah um but i also think that you know i i I don't know. I didn't live in Miller County, Arkansas at that point in time. But like he there's no attempt at it. But back in the 70s, you know, that doesn't really surprise me yeah. all that much. Um uh, for someone making a movie in an extremely rural Arkansas, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. But it is something that I noticed um just upon watching it that, you know, something notable, I guess. Yeah, uh, that that's always a lingering thing with all these movies we've talked about is kind of the lack of 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 uh, of diverse characters within these worlds within this the south the south, which is it's like it's uh, it, it, exi- it existed and still exists, but for some reason it just kind of with say we talked about this with Count Hot and Roof or Kill Mockingbird, where it's kind of they're rele- relegated to like help or kind of the lower class people, um, but yeah, we never see it in this movie. Um, but also, like you say, it could be. It's it's probably just the population of this area is the other thing to think about. Um, I think one thing. This is just swamp people. Yeah, it's a bunch just of white people live in the swamp. Yeah, it's kind of what I gathered. Yeah, the one thing I would say is that I wish I saw more like, um, reoccurring characters besides the the kid and the, like the like the narration. Yeah. Uh, I I do wish that I cared about a lot of these people in the reenactment periods because I found that I was like, I just met this person. It's someone getting like kind of attacked by an animal, but kind of just interacting with an animal that they don't know. And like, I don't really care about them. The stakes aren't there other than like, uh, what if this creature attacks them? But most of the time it doesn't. And so it's, you know, it, I would agree with you on that 100. percent Yeah, I, I think I think if you remade this today, it's like you have more consistent like people reoccurring of like seeing them like 10 years later, like, and it's back in town. This person's now grown up or has gotten older, and and things have changed. Like you could you could you could definitely you could make this movie almost more character driven if you really wanted to like have characters you could like actually if you want to make it more of a narrative you could easily do that i feel and i feel like so that's something that there. he tried to do in the sequel uh-huh. and it failed miserably <laughs> so so maybe I agree. i'm wrong i just feel like you got to do it it would a, take a, a more way. trained uh a more trained hand yeah to do it someone who has established uh you know career in filmmaking and in screenwriting and in directing i feel like it would take 
a more experienced person to achieve that effectively but yeah i agree you could definitely there's definitely bones there for a story and they've tried to make there's a handful of boggy creek sequels that are unofficial or yeah. they have no tie-in to the original movie and they've all tried to make it more narrative um none of them have ever even gotten close to the success of this movie obviously but it's not for lack of trying they did try uh they just come across as like b movie like you know sci-fi channel quick late money making movies. yeah 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 quick easy money yeah. a little cash grab to make a creature film uh i assume there's no alternate universe cast because there's no famous people in the movie <laughs> so i thought about it i thought about it and i i think the only people that you could really well i'll well, well, i'll i'll alternate universe cast is I, we always have this conversation it's it's uh the people that were almost cast in the movie, but not, but it's all local people. Yeah. It's right just here. all like all people that you know in your life that you think would make sense in this yeah. movie. You don't want to be the, the, the one dude, you don't want to be like Bob who got cut. And he's like, damn it. Like I pissed off. Imagine Charles. you were so like, bad at acting that you didn't make the cut in this movie <laughs> that you were like, you know what? That's hot no, garbage. Movie. Like that's when you know it's bad. <laughs> and like, I do think that if you made it more narratively driven, you could have bigger characters in it. Yeah. You could have bigger characters and you could Actors, get yeah. people, but as it currently exists, like you could have no. people in there, but that's just a glorified cameo. Like, yeah, you might, yeah, you might as well just go to a documentary in like in, in Arkansas or, or West Virginia or like just somewhere, or even just like, like down at some swamp somewhere in the South. Um, w- were there any film facts you didn't cover so far? I mean, honestly, no, there's very little information okay. that exists about this film that, you know, it, just a research, like pulling, pulling research for this film was really hard. There's not much, you know, the people who have been around are nine rural Arkansas high school kids. <laughs> like, There's an interview with his daughter where she recounts stories of her being with her father on set and like, you know, experiencing that as a child and being at work with your dad and that kind of stuff but there's not many there's not many fun facts or trivia facts or anything that we haven't already covered just because of how little this film is talked about unfortunately yeah that's i'm looking i guess the one thing you can say is like almost none of the cast <laughs> none of the cast ever did another movie that's the that's the oh yeah no well yeah. that's a that's a non-start <laughs> for sure uh, like there's no way a lot here's the uh, fun fact so a lot of the people that um you know they they made movies together after this for about a decade more so some some of them make you know for more of a decade but then there's also um something that i thought and this kind of ties back into the very beginning of this movie um with the poster the poster that i remembered Yeah, yeah, yeah visually remembered i think one of the most fun fact things about this film is that the poster designer the guy the concept artist and production illustrator that made this poster is named Ralph McQuarrie. Uh-huh. McQuarrie. Sorry if I mispronounced that, Ralph. But this guy did posters and concept art for the original Star Wars trilogy. Oh, really? Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and E.T. Like, this guy was the guy. Like, this was one of the big-name people, and I don't know how they convinced him to make this poster. Wow. But Ralph McQuarr- Ralph, he did a great job. Yeah. And this poster is iconic. When you see it, you 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 get it. Like you see something that is visually makes you 
stop and like kind of wonder what this movie's about because it is like there's horror aspect with a sasquatch on it but there's also this beautiful like sunset yeah over a swamp and like it is very effective at what they needed to get done with this poster and i don't know ralph uh that's the biggest fun fact is that ralph was a pretty big deal yeah and was still doing concept art up until uh star wars uh solo and wait he's dead he's dead my understanding. he's dead now he's dead oh no <laughs> oh no ralph oh no no but he yeah i look at like when looking at his stuff he did uh he said concept art for for concept art illustrators for like raiders and et it looks like there's a quote that george lucas said after his death uh his uh contribution in the form of unequaled production paintings propelled and inspired all of the cast and crew of the original star Wars trilogy. When words could not convey my ideas, I could always point to one of Rouse fabulous illustrations and say, do it like this. Now that's what you dream of someone yeah. saying. Yeah. That's what you dream of someone saying about you after a, a prolific career as a concept artist and a production illustrator. And like, I don't know, man, like having worked with these guys, you know, to bring it back to like tie it in with what, we do yeah, yeah. every day having worked with people that are you know of this caliber and of this you know quality of work mm-hmm. um on a daily basis it's it when you see some of the stuff that no one will ever see in a million years like it is it is beautiful and fascinating and it's so underappreciated yeah um with bringing a film's vision to life and i i i don't know if there's other concept art for this film or i don't i I couldn't imagine there would be much i figured if they paid ralph anything that was for this one poster (laughs) yeah but um yeah it was it's it's beautifully done it's a really well done poster and it's it was the sole reason i decided to watch this movie was because i remembered the poster and i think that goes that just goes to say that uh it leaves an impact on you when you see it it makes a note in your mind like that's a good poster and sometimes that's all it takes yeah you get one shot of getting someone in the theater and back then you got a poster and a word of mouth like that's yeah <laughs> just kind of is the truth and he did both those things very well uh he really did. <laughs> uh one one more one more film fact i found out that i i thought i wasn't for sure so the same narrator that does legend of boggy creek uh Vern steerman also did the narration mm-hmm. for the town that dreads sundown uh which is also a docudrama about a uh, that's about a serial killer but it's like a legend in texarkana um so because i was like i've heard this voice before and it's the same same guy um that makes sense yeah that adds up a lot yeah i mean you gotta if you got a good recipe like don't mess up the recipe too much exactly you know and yet like it's well, I got a lot working for you keep going yeah and he has a really good voice and, and i'll probably mention him a little bit later when it comes to awards so story questions do you have any questions besides is uh is bigfoot real? i mean obviously the big question is is, is the legend of boggy creek real yeah um obviously you can do go down your own rabbit hole researching all about it <laughs> and you can decide for yourself um i don't personally know if it's real or not <laughs> i didn't go down that rabbit hole i almost did by mistake when i was trying to do research <laughs> but i quickly turned myself around um I think my biggest thing is what happened to Crabtree? <laughs> Where's Crabtree? I need I need more Crabtree. I could have watched a solo spin-off film just about Crabtree. Uh 
and I, that's my biggest question is what happened to Crabtree? Is he still out there? Some people say he's still out there making still out there on the river uh, scrambled eggs on the side of the swamp. <laughs> It was cast iron skillet. Which what was his first like, name? Because there's like two different crab trees in, on the cast. Both are related and both have the same last name. In the in the movie, I have no idea. Yeah, what his it's first like name there's was. Buddy Crabtree. He is he is Crabtree in my mind. Yeah, it's like Buddy Crabtree is James Crabtree, and then Jeff Crabtree is Fred Crabtree. Uh, um, I think it's James Crabtree. I feel okay. like that weirdly makes sense in my mind for some weird reason. But man what what a character it's like it, you just have to wonder uh-huh why i would i just i wish i could go back in time and ask charles pierce why you give crabtree the solo song <laughs> i just have to know yeah why? Well, yeah he's the only character I, that gets a solo song but no one else does like his character stuck with me more than 90 percent of this movie because of how strange but how wonderful that little solo <laughs> 10 minute segment is and like i think that just goes to show you there's some things in this movie you're gonna forget yeah almost instantly because there's it's you know it's such a different film no matter what five section five minute section you're watching yeah it's wildly different from the five minutes before i agree with you on that i agree with you but on that crabtree crabtree uh is inevitable crabtree <laughs> persists throughout everything and i i don't know man i I love Crabtree. I could watch a whole solo film about Crabtree. All right, so so let's let that that goes into our next category, our next uh, section, awards. So uh, the Beatrice Strait Award for actor actress limited scenes that kills it. I feel like it's Crabtree. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, I was gonna say that it's the dead cat just to be funny, but. I have to go with Crabtree. Yeah, I think it's Crabtree. The more I've thought about Crabtree, <laughs> the bigger smile on my face I have. Like I I cannot like it is the epitome of what you think joining Boy Scouts will be like. You're like, <laughs> I'm just gonna go canoe down the river with my friends and make scrambled eggs over a fire and there's nothing you can do about it. And like Hell I yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that, dude. And like it's it's so perfectly done uh-huh. and i just i have to know if that was like just a real thing if he just like i i just i don't know i need to know the story of crabtree that i'll toss in that dude who doesn't know what a sasquatch is i always think about that guy a sasqua what sasqua what i don't know that um yeah so but we'll oh, go cra- i like is. i like crabtree uh okay the annie potts x factor award supporting actor actress that is the most memorable i i, I will say the narrator Vern Steerman. I think, I think that narrator because I don't think he's a lead because he's just like he's you never see him, you know he is a consistent thing here. But I think he's just an observer. So I really kind of I wouldn't consider him a lead. And also I I I, I have a pick for the MVP, uh, but I wanted Vern Steerman to get something, and I think his narration really carries this movie like from start to finish. I completely agree with you on that, hundred um, percent. And it's it sticks with you. You can hear it in your head after you yeah. watch the movie. You can hear that voice in your head. Yeah. And it's so, um, I don't I don't even know what about it makes it seem. It's just perfect for this film. Yeah. Like it's the perfect level of like fatherly voice, but also like really like fun and kind of theatrical in a way. And like it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's an observer like who's not like 
fully invested in the story but is invested like it's not daniel stern in wonder years but like it's 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 like it could be like like one of those people who are like uh 48 hours like telling you like what this is what happened at 12 p.m on saturday october 4th or whatever but if you're ever driving down in our country along about sundown keep an eye on the dark woods as you cross the sulfur river bottoms and you may catch a glimpse of a huge hairy creature watching you from the shadows. Yes, he's still here. And you know, I'd almost like to hear that terrible cry again, just to be reminded that there is still a bit of wilderness left, and there are still mysteries that remain unsolved, and strange unexplained noises in the night. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie director, actor, etc i mean it it's charles pierce there's no there's no one else that could even come close like this movie wouldn't have been made if it wasn't for charles pierce on multiple levels yeah yeah. he sings the theme song brandon (laughs) he sings the theme song himself like this dude gave it all for this movie to be made like he laid it all out there with no care in the world what people thought and man like it really it really works out for him yeah um, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, like people could have done this otherwise. Sure. Yeah. Like a more trained person could have, but like, I don't know if people would have just constantly come up to what seems like imminent failure and just in spite of it persisted uh-huh. and then, and then ended up succeeding in spite of it, like overcoming your obstacle at every point in time and then succeeding against all the odds. And this man did it. And like, I just think there's not a single person related to this film other than Crabtree <laughs> that, and I say that jokingly, there's really, yeah. there's no one else. Like Charles Pierce is, he's the guy like he's, he's the Gene Hackman MVP award. If there ever was <laughs> the face of the award, I mean, he literally, Gene he literally, Hackman, yeah, he literally should carries be the, the movie. It should be the Charles, it should be the Charles B. Pierce MVP award. The, he, <laughs> the man, the man is, the definition of this award. The seasons passed. Summers into falls, winters into springs. And somewhere in the remote wilderness of the bottoms, the creature spent his days. Here the sulfur river flows, rising when the storm cloud blows, and this is where the creature goes, safe within a world he knows. Perhaps he dimly wonders why there is no other such as I, to touch to love before I die, to listen to my lonely cry. So final questions. We cast this already. If it was remade today, who would you cast? And I feel like if you do it today, if you do it, I think even if you do it as more of a narrative, I would do all just like unknowns if you could. I feel like you can't really put a big star in this um, either way. I don't either. But if you did, I thought it might be fun 
if David Gordon Green did it, directed it, kind of in the same vein, in the same vein that they're doing the Halloween movies, uh-huh. but you just give them a Sasquatch movie <laughs> and make it like a relatively nonviolent Sasquatch that people are just terrified of. <laughs> and like, I don't know, I would love that. Like, I I thought alternate narrator. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Nowadays, maybe Walton Goggins would be great. Okay. Yeah, like I, I, you gotta stick with a southern voice, and I, Walton Goggins has a great voice, um, and a great sense of playfulness in the way he talks. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. I really thought, I thought about it a long time. Yeah. And it is it, if you made this a narrative film and you actually did give it a cast, like it's gonna be a completely different movie. Yeah. But, I mean, it isn't isn't undoable. Yeah. But it would be an entirely different movie, and it's impossible to just be like, oh yeah, this person is this person, and this person is just that's just not how this movie exists. You could maybe cast Crabtree, and that's about it. <laughs> no, I like to pick a Timothy Walton Goggins. Chalamet is Crabtree. Oh god, oh god, no, that would. Oh gosh, it would just be it would just be Timmy Chalamet taking on the folk monster. Is all it is. Um, oh man, that would be a great Wes Anderson film. I would watch that. <laughs> Um. All right. So, uh, does this film fit with any other genre? Obviously, I feel like it fits in like docudrama, docu yeah, yeah. series, horror. Yeah. Genre, and it it fits very nicely in that. I mean, it is yeah, the yeah. reason that exists. Yeah. I I think you could make it a strong case for it to be a nature documentary, <laughs> even if it is a fake nature nature documentary. I think that it it there are parts of this film there are there are 10 minute sections of this film uh-huh. that are almost entirely just nature footage with music over it. So yeah, I think you, so yeah, if you don't like, if you don't like nature footage in your movies, you might not like this movie. Um, but if you do, you'll love, you'll this love movie. it. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, it's like, it's also a mockumentary. If depending on how you feel about the folk monster as a real thing, um, it's still kind of all like, rehat or kind of retelling these certain things yeah horror film early beginnings of like a, a kind of a found footage i mean it's not early begins of found footage because it's not really a found footage but it inspires that kind of genre um and it's a monster movie at the end of the day it's still just a plain old monster movie um by the end of it so how does this film fit within the southern genre of everything we talked about um i feel like for what it doesn't talk about race it does do a really great job of maybe not talking about but showing you class yeah and uh, a blue collar rural community life Mm. um i feel like that's one of the most you know kind of indirect things about this movie Mm -hmm. is how much that influences it yeah and pretty much every decision inside of it but um but yeah, I think that's by far probably the the biggest one of all. Yeah, and I, I in my mind, and I think it also like does delves into kind of like the storytelling gene of a of a southerner, of the like everyone kind of has a story to tell in some way, and you have this with everyone kind of telling what they saw, or, and and ha- and even just the narrator against this looking back on your life, it's a it's a reoccurring thing with many looking back on your life or or your town that's another thing looking back on your town's life and history and how it's defined you in a certain way and how it's changed over time um and again there is that kind of fantastical element in a way with this this folk monster where it's this this folklore that's built into the the southern region in some way of these kind of urban legends that kind of permeate the the area 
Um, so I think that's kind of how it fits. And so in terms, and also like in terms of rankings or whatever you want to do, that's like, I think it's a very underrated film within this genre that still captures the essence of what it is to be in the South and what it is to live in the South and specifically kind of a, a very rural area of the South that some, it still exists in some places that like, this is still, this is still there for sure. So yeah, I think that's, is that everything you have to say on the legend of boggy creek hunter it might be i mean <laughs> I, I, we covered a lot yeah like we covered we covered this movie front to back like yeah I, there's not much we didn't say about this movie that either deserves to be said or needs to be said like yeah. we if you have any questions on this film you need to just go watch it for yourself because like i couldn't i can't stress to you enough how wonderful of a watch it was um and I have told other people to watch it and hopefully they have. I mean, it's just one of those films where you come away from it and you're like, you feel good. You you feel like, yeah, I watched something fun, like something weird and different that I would have never, ever thought to ever watch <laughs> never knew existed. And yeah, I, I feel like we covered it pretty thoroughly. I agree. Um, there's not much that you'll find on the internet that we didn't talk about. <laughs> I'll put it that's that way. We, that's what we like do with I this feel job. confident yeah. in that. I feel confident in that for sure. Unless you want to find out that uh, there were 40 sightings of the folk monster uh, in 1997 to 1998 in the area. So there's that. Man. For, the, I mean, for I those Bigfoot big listeners. 40, that's, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That sounds like a sequel to yeah, me. Like, <laughs> for those Bigfoot listeners that have stuck around to the end of the show. Here's the thing. So if you make this movie now and it needs to be narrative based, do you use The Legend of Boggy Creek, the original 1972 film, as canon inside of the world? I, well, see, that's that you make the movie. That's what the town that Dread Sundown did. Like the the remake of that of his early his later movie, they did like a meta sequel where it was about the killer upset about the movie that was made about it. I believe. So like that's wild. <laughs> So, do you think the legend of the creature comes out of the swamp and he's like, he's like I'm everyone pissed. thinks that I wanted to be their friend? Yeah. I was here to murder your cats. <laughs> I don't know how you got that confused. Like, I I don't know. You could definitely do it. But, yeah, honestly, I feel like we covered this movie front to back. Um, I loved it. So, yeah, so that's it on Legend of Boggy Creek. Next week is our final episode of our southern movie genre we are talking about the films of jeff nichols who we mentioned briefly on the show today uh, a filmmaker who has worked extensively uh, in arkansas and from arkansas with movies like midnight special take shelter shotgun stories loving and mud starring matthew mcconaughey so a couple films we're gonna be talking about next week it's gonna be fun thomas is gonna be back talking about it um so yeah that's all we have for you on this episode make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast and our podcast spotify stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise review on whatever platform you listen to the show on we like hearing what you guys have to say it helps kind of kind of us define the show and kind of readjust if need be we love hearing what you guys are liking if you're watching films if you watch legend of boggy creek tell us we want to hear what you have to say about it and hunter specifically does and if you haven't already make sure you like us on facebook twitter and instagram Hunter, again, thank you so much for joining me, coming back on here, returning. I had a great time, man. Thank you for letting me come back on, and thank you for letting me choose such an obscure movie, <laughs> and uh, hopefully we get to do it again soon. Thank you for researching it and giving us the story of The Legend of Boggy Creek. I enjoyed it tremendously. I told you you would. <laughs> and, and thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.